1: to share this episode thanks to these fine companies i depend on in the field game changer calls the gc was designed with all hunting callers in mind though elk is the intended target the unique size is a game-changing tool for turkey and coyote callers as well it is not designed to replace your tube or open reeds, but rather to complement the caller's repertoire in the field vortex optics proudly made in the usa hoffman boots If you're heading to the backcountry and you need some meals that won't bog you down, check out sasquatchfuel.com. 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head over to sasquatchfuel.com. Titanium archery products. Dedicated archers deserve truly unique products that provide all the performance attributes that they demand. And that's exactly what TAP delivers. For more brands we run and trust, jump on westerncontours.com, partner's page, look for the code WESTERNCONTOURS, and save a few dollars off your order. So we're on with infinite outdoors or members of uh infinite outdoors we have uh sam satan mark johnson and grant stewart gentlemen good evening i appreciate the time
2: thank you appreciate you having us on
1: absolutely so why don't we kick it off man and, and let's go uh let's go a little bit of background i'll let you guys decide order there um get a little bit of background on each of you guys and your hunting and or outdoor experience
2: Cool. Mark, you wanna kick her off? Go ahead. All right. Um, so uh, I'm Sam Seaton. I'm the CEO of Infinite Outdoors here and you well, know my entire entire life is centered around you know, hunting, fishing and the outdoors. Um, I grew up on a, a ranch in Buena Vista, Colorado. And you know, literally since since I was little, I remember being um my mom still has pictures of it. It was three years old calling in elk by just making random guttural sounds into into her vacuum tube and just kind of had the had the passion since day one and really started trying to you know curve it into more of a uh, a livelihood as i as i got older and in college started a uh a fly fishing company that was actually called infinite outdoors this this new company took over it um and changed directions and then later went on to make a the the biggest pheasant hunting club in colorado by by land mass um and, and then just kind of came across this idea which we can talk about more here in a second but uh but yeah live and breathe uh fishing hunting outdoors conservation that's that's my passion
1: good deal go right, ahead grant since uh, we got you on uh, on the mic
3: yeah uh my name is grant stewart i'm the coo for infinite outdoors uh I was actually kind of took a different direction from Sam. I was, uh, I was born and raised in, uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And, uh, I ended up coming up here to Colorado whenever I was 18. Uh, and that's, that's actually how Sam and I met. Um, we, we both went to Colorado school mines and played football there and, uh, and, uh, but kind of backstory on my hunting experiences. I got, I got into from my grandfather. He kind of taught me his ways. My dad didn't really hunt much, but, uh, he got me into it and i started started hunting when i was about eight years old uh, and he uh, used to take me up to uh to north dakota to pheasant hunt and that's where i got my passion that's what i'm that's what i'm passionate about is pheasant hunting uh, i do that's that's primarily what i do out in eastern colorado colorado along with uh, antelope and deer out there and uh i'm actually the the, pheasant, the president of uh, our pheasants forever chapter out there the eastern colorado chapter and and uh, that, that's, that's where my passion runs, is, is out in eastern Colorado, chasing pheasants all day long and, and chasing the, the the plains mule deer and, and, and antelope out there. But,
1: old yeah. open country wreckers, man.
2: Oh, it, <laughs> Dream crushers, oh, yeah. buddy. <laughs> Whole different animal out of the plains. Oh, man. A lot of, <laughs> <blood> from... <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a lot of... Uh yeah that's some frustration there that's a, that's my early season hunts here man it's just crazy
3: oh yeah man i understand that so do you know a
1: guy uh uh jeffrey Pagel, out of eastern colorado he, i don't he's uh I don't think so. he's he's big in that in that pheasant and unlimited chapter there um man that that guy lives and breathes that stuff but i mean you want to talk about a story that's that's smacking me in the face hearing that um you know grant you just went through it there
2: <laughs> yeah he must he must be more northeastern North east, probably. yeah yeah he
1: is he is northeastern
2: um the because actually all of us are are on that Pheasants forever chapter grant's the, grants the president of it i'm the vice president and then and then mark is the treasurer of that chapter so but yeah, we're kind of in our own isolated area there because there hasn't been a chapter for years. Yet we've been running that that pheasant hunting club out there, just been managing it ourselves. You know, paying for everything out of pocket, just doing what we can to to improve it because we have such a such a giant amount of acreage over there. Um, and yeah, finally we're able to get something going with pheasants forever to to really hone our craft and make the biggest amount of conservation difference we possibly can
1: thank you yeah. so last but not least mr johnson
4: yes i'm mark johnson uh they do the, the a lot of the media and some of the waterfowl stuff for Infinite outdoors and uh i actually started hunting uh, a lot later than these guys um I was, I didn't have any family or anything that hunted. And I had a friend take me out pheasant hunting, uh, like 2004. And after that first field, I was fully hooked. So <laughs> if I ever get divorced, cause I'm spending too much time in the field, I, I blame it on my buddy, Aaron, just, you know, <laughs> first time. And yeah, now I, I live and breathe it. So everything, uh, you know. Everything from, from elk, pheasant,
1: ducks, deer, everything. I, I just love it. So, yeah. So, so okay, we, we can't let what you just did glass over. So you talked media. And, dude, you have... There, there's a lot of photographers, right? And I had sent a bullet over and I'm not, I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but it was a, you know, WTF Colorado, right? right? With these Colorado outdoor photographers. It's just stupid. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but some of the, night captures you have right the 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 celestial captures and then your long exposure stuff dude is freaking wicked i don't even know i don't even know what else to say about it. just stupid dude
4: i appreciate it man it's uh yeah photography's kind of my my uh second biggest passion Hun- Hunting's definitely number one but photography's a close second and videography and that kind of stuff is slowly becoming a, a quick third so yeah it's a uh, I don't know. It's kind of easy to take badass pictures in Colorado. It's such a beautiful place out here. So, Man. yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, don't
2: don't downplay that, Mark. you I mean, he is. I mean, he's he's and
3: all, <laughs> all the
2: way that. I mean, <laughs> there's times too when I like. I'm like, how the hell can you make already the most beautiful landscape look even better? In exactly. A
1: like that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: He's got a picture of everything, too. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, too?
1: A lot of that, a lot of that, there's a certain eye that takes it, right? I mean, there's some tech part of that with the cameras now, but there is a there is an eye for, you know, the framing, the actual capture. And he does it so, so, so well, right, to be able to look at. You know, the the three of us could look at something, take a picture, and then you look at marks, and it's like, how how is that, how is that different than what we saw, and how the hell did you do that, man?
4: <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man.
1: So let's kick it off, boys. Let's uh let's talk about infinite. Um, you know what, we kind of got the what or yeah, how it started. Um, but why don't you take us a little bit deeper into that, and then you know we'll start talking about mission and things like that.
2: Okay. Yeah. So really it kind of, it it kind of started out of, out of necessity from that, that pheasant hunting, um, that pheasant hunting business that that we had out in Eastern Colorado. So that, that kind of just spawned as, as a way to look after some of our our friends out there that were, um, you know, that were ranchers and farmers and, you know, a lot of them had really bad experiences with other outfitters or different or different clubs that are trying to uh um you know that were basically just trying to make some money off their land so they're kind of getting getting shafted and they weren't getting very much money so you know had a good had a good day job figured you know i just help them out and in return i'd you know have access to a little more little more hunting land which is always what everybody wants and uh started out with just a few thousand acres out there and then you know, of course three years we were to 60,000 acres that we were managing for different landowners. Cause we were treating them right, paying them right. And I'm like, oh crap, like, you know, this isn't sustainable. Can't keep just doing this by phone calls. And, and some little janky website I threw together on Squarespace and, uh, and, you know, kind of started brainstorming with grant. We like, shit, we know some, we know some really smart guys from going to Colorado school of mines that are heck of a lot smarter than us. And, you know, reached out to them to see if they could kind of put together a platform that would really facilitate all of these, getting people this access that we had, that we'd been given for, for years to huge amounts of acreage and, and really be able to, to manage it with more hands off and kind of give that control back to the landowners without adding extra workload to them. Um so essentially what what if outdoors does is it encompasses, you know, we spread beyond just the just the uh the pheasant side, and, you know, we have big game hunting, we have tons of tons of fly fishing properties uh and you know even some camping opportunities and we basically put it all onto an online platform that you know shows a map of where everything's at, people can go through, they can they can you know, filter by whatever game species they want to hunt or fish. It'll show all the properties in our network. And currently, like we're you know we're a newer company, and we already have a hundred thousand acres under our network and miles and miles of of water. And you just go on there, reserve a, a spot entirely to yourself. That's you know half acre of, or a half mile of river, for example. Or if you're out in eastern Colorado to pheasant for the day, you reserve a section and you get you get three thousand acres, just one hundred percent to yourself. That you know, gets at least four rest days during the week. So just, and, and also by cutting out those those middlemen by leveraging technology, we don't have all these administrative fees. So you're essentially just booking directly from the landowner to hunter fish at a way discounted rate at a better managed, higher quality property because we don't have to blow it out just to just to make ends meet on our end. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the. That's kind of the business at a high level. And to and to join, all we all we require is, you know, people have to share our passion for for conservation, the next generation. It's it's a twenty five dollar membership fee that a hundred percent of that gets donated to uh, one of our conservation partners that you can pick from when you're signing up, or or another one like Colorado Youth Outdoors that really helps get that next generation of uh, kids in hunting and fishing and. helps preserve the future of our, of our sport that we all love.
1: That's awesome. So one of the, one of the, what, what I think people fail to realize, right. In a lot of, you know, these, these private land situations, right. Or, you know, as we call them, pay to play um, is not all landowners hunt, right. Not all landowners are are managing game. So with opportunities like that, with, with folks that aren't doing that there, there's, a level of where you're creating these, you know, really good opportunities, but you're also curating these relationships that gain us additional access. I mean, a hundred thousand acres ain't no little tiny, tiny bit of land. Right. Um, But but creating that, you know, creating that opportunity while curating a good relationship to someone who may not be interested in it um, or, you know, bringing back that to someone who was burned.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah no it's it's definitely definitely twofold and i mean it goes even even beyond that because these these other these other ranchers and farmers that like you said you know aren't really aren't really hunters now because we create these these good relationships we look after them all of a sudden you see them caring about the about the habitat and building it out and a lot of our a lot of our people too they have they have land enrolled in in the walk-in programs with all the, all the public land and we work on public land with with pheasants forever so it, it goes beyond just that just that private land relationship and, and just brings more good light and, and you know more of those best practices on those private land for, for really helping those those animal populations grow and thrive.
1: And then you, you talked about rest periods um, and, and you know, doing my, doing my trolling. So you guys have a, a biologist under employ with Infinite. So you want to talk about a little bit about that and why looking at it through those eyes and through scientific management is more appropriate than just saying, you know, seven days a week, give us, you know, 25 bucks, pay the fee, the day fee and go, go, go
2: right yeah so we actually have two biologists so so one is specializes more in our in our fishing interests and he's in that that central um that central colorado area and then our other one he does more of the um so that first one is corbin bennett's is his name and then Stephen wilson is our biologist for northern colorado and um and more of our hunting interests so it's it's great having them because it's i mean one for the fishing we we can go through, we can actually test the entomology, see exactly how much is in there, tell um, you know, tell what a healthy population of trout would be, you know, if there's if there's ever an opportunity, you know, a couple of properties we stock, we do a full analysis just to, you know, know exactly what it actually can support we stock. And it's not just to throw in there so people can yank on stuff, it's to improve what's currently there or partner on stream restoration programs with our with our landowners you know dig some dig some eddies uh do whatever it takes to to really support that that habitat and then on the hunting side um that's when the, the rest days really big become crucial we use lots of data from the from the state or other or other conservation groups you know figure out that density even just from our own um our own experience and and doing our own surveys, figure out what a responsible uh, harvest rate would be and then what that correlates to with rest days. Uh, And then that also gets more complex for things like waterfowl because then you have the intangibles you got to take in you couldn't, even, even though they're migratory and they're new birds, you can't just keep blasting the field because you know, they're, they're going to, they're, they're smart. They're going to pattern, they're going to go around and then you're not providing that, that same quality to the hunters. And then probably the biggest one is our, is our big game. Um, so we go through, we, we do all the analysis on how much, uh, you know, how many were harvested, what the state publishes as the, the different densities. We prorate that to how much land we have. and We determine the max number that we could, that we could harvest every year and still remain a uh, at least at least a neutral, if not a growing population of animals. And no matter what, because I mean we could eastern Colorado mule deer hunts, we could send sell, sell an unlimited amount. Like there's such a demand for that right now. But we have our cap, we stop right there. I mean the biggest thing is we're not we're not in this to make a, a ton of money. That's why the money goes to the landowners and we do enough to pay our bills and provide these opportunities for people since we've been blessed enough to have it through having these existing land on relationships longer than uh, no longer than the type of business mm-hmm. so how does that work in terms of you
1: know conservation and working with the state um, you know they, they at least in my head right they would welcome they would welcome that outside help in management um, are those conversations that are had is that how does that work
2: yeah, so our, our one biologist, Corbin, he, he used to he used to work for the state, so he's got he already has has the ins and the contacts with them, and and within our plan, we have we have you know several miles of streams in, in like the South Park area. So, for example, next year we want to do some restoration projects similar to one that we that we did close to Fairplay, Colorado. Um, so yeah, so he'll be able to leverage that that whole connection there, and you know see if we can. Um, you know split split some costs whatever it might be because it still benefits the entire entire watershed as a Mm -hmm.
4: whole uh
2: and then the um and then the uh the hunting side that's where pheasants forever really really comes in good because they already have the relationships with the state like the there's a uh, corners for conservation program and that's funded by by pheasants forever that goes to all the, the public land um, all that access and we even have a uh, Colorado Parks and wildlife biologist that is on that pheasants forever um, uh, you know pheasants forever chapter with us so we have access to, to to the gear to the different equipment that they're doing to help facilitate these these restoration and management projects uh, across the, across the state on public and private land. Okay.
1: I was actually going to ask about that, right? Because anytime we talk restoration or improvement to habitat, um, I don't, I don't, well, I'm I'm saying that because I don't think, (laughs) but I don't know that people realize the cost, right? The cost to get in there and do, to take that on and you know you talked about having a a $25 membership to join half of the money you know uh, through this is going to the landowners um and then that other 25 is going to a conservation organization of your choice there's some huge cost in that man um you know if you're looking at getting iron out there to help with you know moving earth and whatnot that i mean sheesh, what are are you talking on a and i don't know colorado but here in california if you need an excavator say a hundred thousand pound excavator is going to cost you three hundred dollars an hour easy you know so that's that stuff doesn't come cheap
2: right well the the good thing without specifically talking to eastern colorado is is it really as it is more of a network. We're not completely out on, on an island. So pheasants forever. They have other other chapters, you know, to the north that might have a, a tree plant or something we can borrow, um, you know, grants an honorary resident of Stratton, Colorado. If we if we need to use some, <laughs> if we need to use some. The land from a landowner out there, they're gonna they're gonna help us out. And I, I think the the biggest thing is just really uniting everybody with those common cause. Even those those landowners that you know previously might not have cared, they're now. Cutting their crop differently, yeah. it's because they care about the same cause too, and are willing to help us out.
3: Yeah, I mean that—that's been a big part of it. Is we've been we've been working with these landowners, kind of. I mean, we started that first year um, with with the club out in eastern Colorado, and I mean, they used to cut the wheat, and and over the years they started to strip her headed. They leave it tall, and believe it or not, fe- pheasant hunting and wheat in eastern Colorado is money. I mean, that is my favorite place to hunt. Hunt pheasants. You just hunt it, hunt it along telephone lines, or you hunt it along a corn cornfield or something along those lines, and it's just money. I mean, you you get your limit every time. It's incredible. People don't ever think about hunting wheat, hunting wheat for pheasant, and and it, it's incredible. But other than that, I mean, this year they they actually all of their circles. Uh, I mean, they plan with corn, and then. Uh, but all, all of the uh, all of their corners they planted with milo, so they're going to leave those tall throughout the winter, and it'll be good habitat for pheasant and and stripping the milo and in their big big square sections and and uh, even stripping corn. But I mean, we've just been working. I mean, it used to just be bare, and there was just not the habitat out there. It just used to be poor, and and uh, just working with them and helping them understand how important it is for those for those pheasants to be able to have have cover, especially during the spring, whenever they're, whenever they're breeding and they're roosting and, and, uh, and uh, being able to, you know, provide, provide for the next year's pheasant population. It's, it's really important. And I think they're starting to finally understand how, how important that is to, to both the population and, and to their income that they can make. Yeah. Well, it doesn't stop in
2: pheasants either. You, if you're, if you're leaving stuff, if you're leaving, um, crops taller, and you have more usable, you're not just completely tilling everything. That helps the deer too, which is already, you know, trophy deer hunting. But now when they have a place to actually hide, biggest thing is, you know, you got to hide by all the who's from the front range that come out in December so the corns cut and just mow them down. But now they got some, right. <laughs> some tall cut uh, uh milo still and, and more tree rows to get away and hide. You know, you're helping them out, protecting from the elements, better survival rate, better quality deer. And in the end, everybody wins
4: it works too i mean these guys you know grant sam i i uh you know i'm obviously a part of infinite outdoors now but last year i was a part of sam's club doing the uh the pheasant hunting stuff and you know years before that it, it's not uncommon to walk around eastern colorado all day on a lot of public land and not see anything uh, no no deer no pheasants no quail no nothing i can't tell you how many times i jumped Massive bucks out of uh, you know uh, CRP or or little little hedgerows and that kind of stuff and then just the, the pheasant hunting is phenomenal. So these guys are definitely no joke. They definitely know what they're doing. Yeah, it it, it makes a world of difference when when the land is managed the right way. It, it's incredible how how many more animals that land holds.
1: So you said. <laughs> You said uh, trophy deer, man. Anything on those open plains. And we said that before we hit record. <laughs> Anything on those open plains is a trophy, man. That is, uh, that is well, some difficult some hunting. Out I'll
4: have to send you some pictures that I got last year. Good hell, man. Holy shit. I, yeah.
1: Well, sorry about on no, no. Here. Oh man. Look, yeah. hey, dude, I have, I have to tone myself down. <laughs> Don't worry about <laughs> it.
4: Right. it. Um, yeah, that, there was multiple times. Grant actually recommended a, a CRP field for us to hunt. Me and a couple of buddies went out there and good hell, man. We jumped two bucks out of there that, yeah but uh, yeah, I can only dream of shooting those guys someday. I don't know how big they are. I can't judge anything on the hoof because I'm not a trophy hunter, but good hell those are trophies in my book that's yeah. for sure Heck yeah
2: uh, I mean they they go like you know 200 plus inch buck is not uncommon. I mean there's a reason why you know listeners can't hear but on the zoom right here, this, you know, is Drew behind me? That's that's the 192, and it's not even shoulder mounted. So, like, that's uh, <laughs> there's, there's <some>
1: different... <laughs> that. That was a little hit to the prowess there, buddy. <laughs> 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 and the swig after that. God dang. <laughs> <laughs> So, so on the pheasant, right. And, and a lot of times we hear, you know, pheasant clubs, things like that. So these are, are these planted birds um, or is this all natural occurring pheasant? How does that, how does that look in the scheme?
2: Yeah. So it's, you know, 99.9% uh, wild. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the biggest thing we pride ourselves on actually having wild, wild birds. It's not like if you... I mean, to my knowledge, if you join any other pheasant club in the state of Colorado, you are hunting birds that, you know, were, they're raised in the pen, they're spun around and dizzy and you're hunting your <laughs> I was going to say it. <laughs>
4: <So>. <laughs> that is no fun, by the way, for the dogs or the people. I mean, the, those birds, you basically have to put them on your boot and throw them up in the air to shoot them <laughs> yeah. out of the fire yeah. because they don't so right. My yeah, dog take him out and anytime I go try, you know, try to train him on planted birds he's just like he looks at me like what the hell is this like I, I'll just eat this bird you
2: know? <laughs> yeah no half the time those the dog's running out. He grabs the bird, brings it back to you, put it in your hand, and then it flies
1: off. <laughs> <laughs> my, my boy and I went out. Oh, it's been years, man. He was probably seven years old. <laughs> and somebody goes, hey, I, you know, gave me, a, gave me a pheasant hunt, right? So I had this <laughs> huge expectation going on this hunt. And, you know, we're sitting there about to get in this field and the guy walks out and he goes, well, where do you want me to place the birds? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? So, so to see this guy grab these birds out of this you know basically a, a truck coop and spin them and then set them down it, it, it just all we could do <laughs> is shoot doves that were flying from field to field all day long because it was like this is ridiculous oh. and they're all plump it's, right they're it's, super it's, big
4: anyway, it's about it, one, anyway to try to train a dog on that stuff because they i mean they, I, i've taken my dog to, to multiple put and takes and they basically just following your your scent your scent cone right after where you put the bird and uh yeah wild birds are definitely a lot more fun to
2: hunt oh yeah, yeah.
4: and now although
2: we do have we're not just wild birds purely because you know like our name implies, in outdoors we want to you know we, we want to be able to do literally everything we do have our game bird license and for the most part we use that um to the to the other company, Eastern outdoorsman do some corporate hunts so i mean some people do like do like the canned hunts or they or they just want to get get a, uh, you know, kid out and just, and just ensure some, some success. Right. no Or what we'll try I'm, I'm still on board. i you know, go to any, go to any length to get a, to get a kid into it if it's done right. But, oh, but yeah. even our, uh, our so-called canned hunts, cause we, you know, we got 1300 birds or we're, we're, we're racing right now. It's still never the, you know, grab them, spin them until they're dizzy, sit them right there and, you know, put a flag next to them. Right. But it's, uh, it's, it's all like, we'll walk out to a field that already has a ton of birds we'll open the gate and they're raising a 30,000 square foot pen. Like they're, they're already, they're about as wild of, of, you know, they don't have blinders on and then we just let them fly out. They're not dizzy so that they at least, at least run on those few sections. Mm -hmm. But like I said, that's a a thousand acres. I would do a very subset of our business that ever receives any sort of supplemental stocking. And then we have another 37 or 36,000 acres of upland habitat that, will never be touched with a, uh, with a pen race bird. They're right. all, all wild managed to sustain those populations. Right. And, and yeah, we're,
1: we're poking fun at it, but it is pretty funny. But yeah, I think, I think opportunities <laughs> in some instances are, are exactly that opportunities. Right.
2: Well, in, in, all, in all honesty, part of the reason why I had to do it is so many people had grown up their entire lives thinking that canned bird hunts, is normal pheasant hunting. So you get these you get these real old these older guys, you know, they're seven years old. They've spent forty years paying for, for tortle a bird and they uh, <laughs> uh and you know and then they're they're just all disappointed like I walked a half mile and I didn't kill a bird. I'm like, well well, yeah, like it, it's a wild bird. They're, wild, they're smart. It's a couple more miles. Like, you see? like, yeah, a bunch flew at the end. It's like, okay, well, strategize. You're, you're hunting now,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and some people just couldn't couldn't get a grasp on that. So I'm like, well, we don't want to turn people off. We we don't want we don't want that subset of people that don't truly understand hunting wild animals to ever be able to bash us. So you know, something we're probably always going to at least have the option of, so right. people can. Yeah, and you still have the option of shooting a wild bird. Like, there's going to be wild birds within those, even if you do a canned hunt. So, I'd,
4: I'd say our birds are a little more wild than most too, because I think a bunch of them got out of the pen the other week and I think Grant and Sam were chasing <laughs> them halfway across Eastern Colorado. <laughs> the, so yeah, yeah. They might be a little more wary than most uh, most birds.
2: Yeah, we left the door open, so there's like <laughs> there's like 200 just. little little young birds that can just barely fly, just sprinting around and a <laughs> like little he ran, you know, he, he, he was an offensive lineman in college, still a big boy. He's just like diving, catching these birds out of the air with one hand. So they're, 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 they're scared shitless now. So probably
1: <laughs> <been pretty> good. <laughs> a little, a little early uh, lesson in predation there. That's right. <laughs> So uh, A a lot of this, a lot of this is opportunity. Right. And, and there, to me, there's an importance in, in what I'm hearing and how you guys have approached it. And it's via science, but a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm making an assumption, maybe it's 98%, 70% passion, right? There's, there is some huge importance in being passionate about an undertaking like this and looking at the big picture.
2: Yeah. No, so that, I mean, we all put in just insane hours <laughs> cause we, cause we love it. It's, it's what we, I mean, me personally, I don't, I don't, I don't make it dime. Some of my other, uh, other other business partners and stuff. You know, we we pay them and just with what we have. Honestly, can't even afford to pay myself. But I still put on, uh, you know, literally work 90 100 hours every single week. Uh, and and I love it because we're doing stuff that we like. Have other sources of income. I, I don't need to do it. I would I would rather be able to provide for the people that are currently uh, currently working for us and make sure that we have. Happy landowners that we're never going to lose, and not just freaking gouge people that are tired of hunting next to a million other people, mm-hmm. and are good enough hunters that they don't want to pay for a guide to have access to this quality of, of of land. So it's yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's all about passion. It's the only way to get her done. So how do
1: you, you you bring up an interesting thing there, right? And a lot of our demographic is crazy, right? We're, we're a crazy group of SOBs (laughs) and we will down, we will down each other for being able to access these types of opportunities. Right. And so how does that look? How do we, how do we say, Hey, there's no problem in doing this, right? Cause that would help, you know, that would help you guys grow a little bit. There's no problem in having access to private land. And I think one of the reasons that that exists is finance, right? Um, because a lot of that access is at a high price tag, um, you know, $3,500 for a, you know, air quotes, semi-guided hunt on private land, $5,000 for the same situation.
2: Right. No, that's, I, th- I think that's completely right. They're just such a, such a, a stigma about it, like oh, you're just some you're you're just some rich dude or whatever. If you're if you're out there hunting uh hunting private land and, and everybody knows that you know that one guy too who's just you know just rich as can be shoots forty animals a year in, in Africa and goes all of his elk hunts he has a guy holding his hand and they've been bottle feeding the deal. They know exactly which one they're gonna shoot and they just pay thirty grand for it. So I think that's what really gave it the bad bad stigma. But honestly, this is. You, you can go out and have 30,000 acres to yourself for, for 59 bucks and literally the best possible hunting That's in crazy. all of there. Or you can have a half mile of water to yourself to, to fly fish on. That is, you know, absolutely gold medal, uh, waterways. And it's, you know, as low as $35 per, per angler out there, which is just no one else is even remotely in the ballpark because they can't be, because they have the administrative costs to cover the, you know, people, uh, people guiding or they've had to piss off a landowner by getting a really low lease and, and all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's the stigma we're trying to break down. But um, I guess we can kind of, this is currently in the works though, but we still acknowledge that there'll be those people that no matter what they're going to say, you know, this isn't for me. I, I just want to be a public land hunter. I refuse to, you know, I refuse to pay anything. I'm going to go to a public land that costs, parking fee. Mm-hmm. Um cater so to that crowd, our our developers are currently working uh working full-time on making the, the background for both our mobile app and our website uh basically an apples to apples substitute for onyx mm-hmm. so before too long you'll be able to just join with us for a cheaper rate than than those you know your onyx or your base maps Um, you'll have the same functionality and 100% of that money to, to, to start is going to, uh, conservation. Wow. So that's our, that's our long play to, to expand our mission and cater to that diehard public land guy.
1: So, okay. So, How do you also display to that guy? Because like you said, some guys are just going to stay that way. But but getting folks to understand that that stigma is is worthless in the big scheme of conservation, right? That that stigma has to be broken down in order for us to really hone in the amount of private land that there is. If the guy is solely on this DIY quest, it's, it's perfectly fine. But folks have to understand that it goes hand in hand. You can't have have mass acres of private land and, you know, it's bordering public and assume that there's no effect on either side of that fence line in terms of conservation and habitat.
2: Right. No, I I think that's, I mean, that's one thing we're trying to trying to educate people on, but in all reality, it's, it's a, that, that reality is going to sink in eventually because there's, more and more people hunting like like i know there's some some things that say we have less hunters every year i i think that's bullshit because i've hunted every year and there's more people every year in the woods crowding up the the public places and people are going to have to come around to that realization sooner or later that you know we we have to include the, the the private land the managing on on both ends and and that, that, thing was going to break down because, you know, eventually public lands are just going to be so hard or there's it's going to be so hard to ever even draw a tag, you know, in 10 years that you're not going to get to hunt unless you have um, different, different options. So, um, so yeah, I guess just through our education and people are going to have to come to that, that realization at one point or another.
1: Yeah. And you know, the scary <laughs> part about that is, is in what we do most times, eventually, is too late, right? When, when it, when it gets to that point for what we do, now you're talking about reestablishing numbers, uh, closing down areas, allowing a herd to, um, grow again, things of that nature. Um, eventually in, in our realm is a scary prospect.
2: Yeah, no, it, it it really is. And, You see that too many times. No one, no one ever catches something early. They they wait till it's broken and then they close it down Mm -hmm. take away your stuff. And, you know, once the hunting area is closed or, you know, I mean, it's, it's the the federal and state governments. You never, you never know how long they're going to truly take, take those away in in the name of whatever cause they're currently saying at that time either. And that's the scary thing. So I think it's important. The leading edge, if at all possible.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, Uh, you know, you talk about state government and, uh, how do I get not too political with this? Oh, here in in California, man. And you know, we, we get jabbed for, you know, being the, the, and we are right. We're pretty we're pretty extreme left. I say we as a generalization, not me, um, but our state and our government. And here, if if we lose it, if they have an angle to take it, there's no coming back. There's you know, they'll put that mess on, you know, OK, we're on the five year plan. And then 25 years later, they're reevaluating it. I mean, we have to realize that that kind of stuff is happening across the West more and more and more.
2: Definitely uh, is well. Colorado is, you know, it's the next. It's the next California right here too. So that's the uh, the reason why it's so important what we're doing with yeah. the sheer number of people and the the uh, you know certain certain political pairs with our with our access. So right,
1: sure. you guys, yeah. you guys yeah. came, came with it last year, man, with the wackiness. There was the, the what's the the topless. You yeah, the topless deal now. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, was. We, got,
2: we got so much, I didn't keep up with it.
4: I just
1: yeah, like, <laughs> plug my ears. I'm like,
2: uh, I'm
4: not from here.
1: <laughs> I, I I'll, I'll trade you. I'll trade you any day of the week, buddy.
4: <laughs> I think a huge part of this whole thing too is just getting the next generation of hunters out there and having them experience good hunts to get them hooked. You know, and like that that that's a big part of our whole mission too is getting the next generation out there and. I mean, I was a part of multiple uh, waterfowl clubs, and then just hunting public land. I mean, I've, I've got—I hunt public land every year. I've got really, you know, nothing against public land per se. Um, but sometimes it's downright dangerous, you know. I mean, I've, I've had multiple times that I've been—I've been straight shot at waterfowl hunting, um, and, and getting that next generation out in the field and getting them turned on to it. You know, just like I said said, I think before we were recording, if I get divorced, I blame it on my buddy Aaron because I spend way too much time in the field now. (laughs) And I mean, that's kind of the goal for, for, you know, one of the goals for Infinite is, well, not to get people divorced, but to get people out (laughs) out of the field while they're young. (laughs) (laughs) What this whole thing is about. And, and, you know, hunting is so much more than just going out and just, you know, shooting a couple birds or shooting an elk or whatever it, i mean it's a, it's a lifestyle to a lot of people and so getting the, the next generation really hooked on and i, I don't know how to really say what, what i'm trying to say just kind of getting them hooked on the 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 whole the whole everything about it getting outside getting away from the getting away from the screen getting off the computer Um, just, just getting back in touch with nature a little bit and putting food in your freezer. I mean, that's, uh, that's huge. I mean, I've got three young daughters and they know where every one of our meals comes from Mm -hmm. and, and it's cool to see that, you know? So that's a big thing with infinite. And I I mean, Sam and Grant can probably touch on that a little bit about what we're kind of doing to kind of get the next generation of, of hunters. And, and kind of get them uh, going in the right direction
1: here. So I'm gonna help you real quick, man. On that divorce is topic there. So you've got, <laughs> you got to you got to start planting the seed about June or July, right? And uh, I don't know if you know who Tony Wintrip is, uh, the Elk singer. He has a song "Miss Me in September." Just start playing that when you guys are going to the store and stuff, and that seed gets well, planted.
4: <laughs> a, I made a, a fatal mistake, and I got married in September before I was a hunter big big problems every year when it comes to the anniversary you know we gotta go celebrate this anniversary and it's like you know maybe we should like renew our vows in like october or something <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> call, call that our new anniversary because this whole september thing it's not working for me you can find me in the woods
3: <laughs> i you know what
1: we're right there buddy we're gonna have to have a, a a cuddle session on the phone. Cause I'm catching it right now. <laughs> and I usually put off my elk hunt uh, because of the same reason. And we're, and we're going
2: for
4: yeah. opener. Dude, I'm, big problem, man. I'm big going problem. for
1: opener. And, and my wife is like, are you kidding me? <laughs>
4: yeah. no, not, I'll send you an onyx point or in our case, an infinite outdoors point. And you know where to find me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so going back to the youth part, right. And, and you bring something up that is, Man, it's wow. terrifying, right? It's almost as bad as the eventually. How how do we how do we battle convenience? How do we battle that that blue light beaming off of that screen 24-7 when it comes to the outdoor experience, right? And yes, we could impact our families and the people around us, but getting kids out that may not have You know, that maybe their parents can't afford to do it. Maybe they want to do it. They can't afford to do it. But battling convenience is what scares me more than, you know, bringing someone that that may not be in that fold.
2: Right. Well, I think I mean, that's the big reason why one of our one of our conservation, I guess not conservation partners, but one of the nonprofit uh, options that you have with us. Is Colorado Youth Outdoors, and their entire premise is providing classes and an initial fishing trip or hunt to to teach the craft and really get those get those kids in that that didn't have uh, a mentor that could that could teach them and kind of be that be that place. So so I think I mean I've, I've always been passionate about their cause, and that's you know that's why we give them give them money. But what we really try to do is is be that be that next step. Because you can have that and that's great. You can have a good experience there. But then if you, if you roll out to, to some public lake to go hunt ducks on, on opener, there's going to be more people you know what to do with shots are going to be fired. People are going to be shooting birds over your decoys. That's assuming there is even anything there and it's going to, it's going to put off a lot of youth and even new hunters. Um, so that's, that's why we've, we've even modeled like as you know we already have extremely affordable prices but if you're a if you're a youth um, if you're under 13 and you're and you're with a with an adult that's hunting it's it's completely free we don't we don't charge them um, we don't charge them anything if you're under 13 and then if you're 13 to 17 uh, you're fifty percent off of that already low price so that's that's why we're I feel like that's really the, the only way to to solidify the the healthy addiction and really really grow that passion and, and, and show them that it is better than, than sitting in front of a computer screen all day. Cause a really good hunting or fishing experience is better than any sort of electronic stimulation you could, you could ever get. Oh, and Biggest problem is people never find that they don't get that opportunity because of limited access or too too expensive options.
4: I think there's very few things in life that you just never—at uh, least me, my memory is kind of garbage—but there's very few things in life that I just will never forget. And that first hunting trip, that first bird that I shot, that first elk bugle that I—you know, thirty-five yards away—that's stuff you just don't forget. I, I feel like if you can if you can get kids out there and get them exposed to that kind of stuff man i I just i just don't think they'll forget it i think once you you either have it in you or you don't you Mm -hmm. know there's nothing you can do about that hunting's not for everybody i mean thank god right because if it was for everybody there wouldn't be enough animals for us all to hunt but uh you know for, for the for the people that it is for once they experience it I, I just think that it's, it's life changing.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you kind of, you kind of mentioned the convenience just to show you how convenient this is. It's, I actually had a, actually I actually had a guy who's a father. He reached out to me uh, two days ago and, uh he reached out asking about our dove hunting properties out in eastern Colorado and I was telling the scouting report since I basically live out there four days a week I kind of have a pretty idea a good idea on what the land looks like but he ended up telling me he's like yeah it kind of it kind of stinks because our our outfitter kind of blew us off and I was going to take me and my buddy we're going to take our kids out for the first big game hunt and and I was like well you're the you're talking to the right guy I actually have a uh, I actually have two uh, two antelope buck rifle tags that I can uh, I can give you and and luck. conveniently we have about a thirty two thousand acre ranch down by Carville Colorado that uh, that you can have all to yourself and and have to your kids and uh, and you know and and they'll have a they'll have that entire nine day season to be able to go out there with their kids and just enjoy nature and, and enjoy being out there and, and learning their experience and those first five days for them are going to be. It's going to be a do it yourself because I'll be, I'll be guiding some guys out in Eastern Colorado for antelope. But, but I told him, you know, if he hasn't, if they haven't been successful yet, which I've already given them tips and all that good stuff. And, uh, but if they haven't, if they haven't had a successful hunt by that time, I'm more than happy and I'll, I'll come out there and, and make sure that they're both successful and they have a good hunt and, you know, teach them all, you know, how to, how to handle meat and, and, and just walk through all those entire steps and make sure they have a great experience. And, you know, it's just all about keeping them, you know, you want to entertain them. I mean, you know, just like what we were talking about, you gotta, you gotta be able to entertain them and, and give them a reason to continue. If you don't, if you don't have a successful first trip or you don't necessarily have a not necessarily successful, but if you aren't, you don't have something that's memorable and it's just boring, or you're sitting in a blind or something. You know, whatever it may be, whatever captivates them, you got to find that and, and hopefully, hopefully, especially a successful one, that's what's going to get them to continue year after year. And hopefully, they teach their kids and then their grandkids, and and that cycle just continues forever. But. Right. You bring you bring something up,
1: and the the resource that you guys are providing is, is huge, but having a relationship with the land that you're managing. Um, and the fact that you can have a conversation like that with a group of guys and be a resource in that respect um, is something vastly different than a lot of the pay to play, right? Okay. Here's the land go. Um, but having a, 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 very personal relationship is uh with the land and these people, that's a big deal, man. And, and to be a resource for these guys getting out hunting like that, uh, that like you're saying, that could be the difference maker in that continuing.
3: Yeah. Just, we're just trying to, I mean, I, I know at least from my experience, I remember my first hunting experience. I was like, I guess I was eight going on nine up in North Dakota with my granddad. Uh, And I remember it was, it was dumping snow. I mean, miserable. I'm an eight year old kid from Texas in the middle of 20 degree weather and snow. I mean, not, not the most enjoyable for an eight year old kid. Nowadays, if I, if it's snowing, honey, you can bet your ass I'm getting out of bed at two (laughs) in the morning and making sure I'm getting up and getting ready to go. I'm excited. Right. But I mean, I remember it was snowing. I had the dog out in front of me and uh, we were walking around this edge of this lake and, you know, I'm walking up and under this tree, there was about 40 roosters just hanging out on there. I was like, Oh my God, there they are. <laughs> Never seen one in the wild before. And, uh, of course I get about 30 yards away. They flush, I'm turning to the side and I, I shoot three shots. No idea what I'm doing. Not a single one dropped. I, st- I throw another one in chambered it and I was going to put another one in cause I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I dropped it and I go down to pick it up and I thought I had lost it all. And I hear one more flutter of that pheasant of that rooster just clucking. I look up and just natural instinct just dropped it and it fell down. I don't know where it went. I searched for it for 15 minutes and 15 minutes later, that dog came, that dog found it in the snow, came back running to me. And I I still remember that exact moment to this day. and, And I'm hoping that I can, I can spread my love for the outdoors and for, Especially for hunting pheasants to these other for these other kids to, to be able to get out there, and that's what I want to do with this with our Pheasants Forever chapters to be able to provide opportunities like that and, and be able to get kids out to to be able to have successful experiences and hopefully something that they remember for the rest of their lives and, and telling their grandkids one day. So yeah, well,
2: and, and just even even beyond even beyond just the great the great experiences and and you know just that that pure joy that you can provide for the kids, I, I think. Potentially, the most the most important thing about getting to the outdoors is I don't know too many shitheads that grew up hunting and fishing. Right. Like it's kind of a <laughs> it, it, to be rooted in nature, you know. It you know it helps you connect spiritually. yes yeah, so that you know that connection to connection to nature, connection to everything. It's you know you're not you're not going to find that anywhere. You're not going to find that behind a computer screen, and and you know nothing else is going to provide. Uh, I know that healthy addiction, you're going to be spending too much money on your hunting gear. So it's, it's, it's all around good. And that's why we're so passionate about it.
1: It should come with a warning label, man. (laughs) It should
2: absolutely come with a warning label. (laughs) A ton of money and potentially your marriage.
1: (laughs) I mean, it is, it, it, it's a, it's a phenomenal addiction, right? I mean, it, it, it keeps you, it keeps you rooted, right? You, For me, like, it's like, I don't want to do anything else because one, I can't afford to do that much more with my hunting addiction uh, uh, and I'm a, and I'm going to, I'm a gear fanatic. Dude, I I don't need to buy something, but I see something and I'm like, yeah, I just want to try it, you know? And uh <laughs> you, you know, you, you get it and it's like, okay, I used it once and now you have Rubbermaid stacked with with stuff that you've never even taken to the field.
4: <laughs>
1: but it's a beautiful obsession.
2: Oh, it is. It, 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 it can't get better. I, I would. I mean, I don't want to be addicted to anything except this. Like, yeah. It's it's perfect. So
1: hunting wise, guys, uh, we, we, you know, we've kind of hit on that. And before we hit record, we started talking, uh, talking elk a little bit in Colorado. I mean, we're what, less than a week off of opener. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond anxious, man. I got butterflies in my stomach just talking about, it. I'm ready to just be on the mountain and, just be at peace you know i mean this has been a crazy year everywhere and i i think i'm gonna you know opener is what next wednesday and i'm really considering just leaving on saturday getting there and just spending two hours just to detox from the the madness that is uh 2020
2: yeah no smart man need it I, I feel like this hunting season is going to be the most needed ever just to just to completely recenter and get away from all the crap and just be at nature and be chasing, B one bulls. And I mean, I'm, I'm as, I'm as pumped as you. I was, I was up this last weekend, set, brought all my stuff and set it all up, you know, hiked a, hiked a dozen miles to get back into the, into, in and out of my spot for I mean i knew there's elk out there every single year since i was 12 but i was like shit i just want to set up my stuff and pretend like it's already time so i'm right there with you i can't i can't wait you said
1: bugle and bulls man (laughs) that's some little baby bugles if you're lucky
2: yeah one i had a actually really cool encounter this last week and just up scouting i I, I really I couldn't hardly scout because I I kept running into these same two bulls within a couple hundred yards of my camp. Um,
4: oh, shucks! We don't want to hear it. <laughs> I kept running into the same bulls.
2: Darn it! <laughs> I know it was, it, was, it was a real real bummer. <laughs> no, but,
0: but was,
2: like they're they're just younger bulls. They 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 weren't they weren't smart yet. They're in the middle of nowhere. They don't get they don't get messed with that much. But they're just you know, for for two hours had them had them walking around on Sunday morning and. And they're just sitting there, you know. After the first hour, and they kind of figured out that something wasn't right because the the wind flipped. They're just sitting there barking at me, practicing their little <laughs> wimpy ass bugles, and it was it was pretty darn cool. And and I was able to take some pictures up close, and uh, I I can't wait. I'm beyond excited. Um, and you're coming out to out of this year, right? To, yeah. To years?
1: Yeah, I'll be out. I'll be out with you guys. I can't wait, man. It's. Uh... Isn't it crazy? I mean, it, it, it's a year, 11 months of anticipation. I mean, for me I think about it every single flipping day.
3: <laughs>
1: every day. And and I went into the I've been hunting the same deer. This is the third season I've been chasing this old buck in in, in my open plains hunt. And Odd man, it's just odd. Like I'm out looking for that deer and chasing that deer, and all I could think about was getting out chasing elk. And it's just there's something about that animal that just has me enamored beyond belief, man.
2: Oh yeah, there there's something special. Like I mean, it's kind of same same situation as you. I was out, you know, archery archery antelope hunting, and and like I I love that too. I love all all hunting, and you know, I'd, I'd even taken a couple. You know, a couple of days off this last week. I was planning on to, to finish out that that antelope hunt if I needed it, but I just couldn't help it. I ended up shooting one on the first day because I'm like, I need to I need to have that time off to go up in the mountains and stare at elk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's the- I just shit, I'd rather scout for elk than hunt about anything
1: else. Yeah. I mean that's where I'm at. I, I'll you know, I used to take off, you know, a week for deer. Um and then, you know, whatever time is left is is on the elk thing. And now my deer hunts are are, you know, one and two day weekend warrior type hunts. And, you know, I tell work, hey man, you know, September's here. Don't don't expect me <laughs> don't, you know, I'm taking time off in September Oh, when you coming back October, <laughs> <All> the- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I may be back earlier, but depends, you know, um, it's it just, and it's a beautiful thing, man. I, I think part of it, it, you know, the older we get, I think, uh, the more we appreciate the, the suck part of it. Right. And Grant kind of brought that up earlier. Um, you start to appreciate the, the effort that it takes to go chase that animal. Um, and I think that's one of the things about elk, right? They're, they're social creatures. We can, we can talk to them, but it's this game of wit, this chess match that we're playing with them that, uh, That's just next level. And then to think that once you do that, and it sounds cliche, it's very cliche, right? But once you're able to do that, once you put all the puzzle pieces together, that's when the real work starts. But that's not a deterrent, you know what I mean? For a guy to be solo in the backcountry a dozen miles and to be willing to pack out 600 to 700 pounds of meat, you know, plus camp and everything that you brought in there with you. There's something, there's something next level. of I mean, it is, it's is a heaven on earth experience.
4: Well, that's that tight beef on that Steve Brunella always talks about. You know, it sucks in the moment. You're thinking, why the hell did I just shoot this animal twelve miles in here, or whatever you are. But man, you look back on those times, and there, there's just nothing better.
1: No. I mean, and, and then you get to look at yourself, you know, dirty, sweaty, black. Your your back is bloodied up. Your pack is bloodied up. And you, you turn around and you look at those bootsteps and tell me if I'm wrong, but there's no, is there a greater sense of accomplishment when you are in God's country and you are part of the food chain and you walk out and do this? And then our, and I love it. I get to see firsthand my insignificance in the big picture of things, right? We're very, very arrogant um, species. We are arrogant as arrogant gets. And to be part of that food chain and put yourself in that and see your insignificance is just, it's a phenomenal eye-opener. Yeah.
4: yeah. I remember that every time I pull those steaks out of the freezer, you know, like you, every time I pull an elk steak out of the freezer, it's it just brings back all those memories and all that all that pain comes right back right away. and But it's a great feeling. You know, it's it's good pain at that point. Yeah.
1: Well, then you're, right. you're looking at him going, I got you, bastard.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 Cast iron skillet I, I, and some butter, buddy. <laughs> uh, there's two things that I that I just really love about it one like you lived to you know humans were, were such were such an arrogant species and there is nothing more humbling than than uh you know than being shown up by an elk and other and and other parts of nature and even when even when you're successful and i mean i i, don't, I wouldn't say i'm like the world's best hunter but i'm freaking persistent and i'm just too stubborn to get out there but even when i get one like, oh that's awesome you got one. i'm like yeah but i blew it on about 15 others you know and it's 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 that humbling experience that you just really need to recenter. And then it is such a process. and so hard to, to pack out, camp out a live in the, live in the back country. Um, that, I don't know, there, there is a, there is a beauty in, in suffering that you that you learn to find and you learn to enjoy. And by having all that suffering and lowering your baseline, then when you accomplish something as big as harvesting a, a an elk or any big game animal for that matter, that, you know, that, that high you get from that low baseline of suffering you've been putting yourself through is just, you know, such a large gap that it just, it can't be matched in anything in normal day life. That's
1: though, no, man. <laughs> So what kind of what kind of camp, what kind of backcountry camp are you for me? Like I'm a I'm a hammock guy. Um I got on this hammock kick a couple of years ago, man, and it's a tarp and a hammock, and I'm swinging between trees and loving life and I'm off the ground and I don't have that one damn stick that I missed when I was clearing the ground, <laughs> poking me in the the right ass cheek. That's
4: <laughs> what I call a burrito, man. I, I, yeah, I don't know, oh, yeah. I it was worried.
2: Nibble on my ass in the middle of the night, <laughs> but no, I, I'm running a and honestly, I, I used to just I used to run the, the the jankiest setup. Like I've always hunted hard, but it was more so I got through it because I was okay with being uncomfortable. And then Mark really introduced me to the 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 luxury side of things with gear, and that it's okay to not be on the verge of dying every time you go out. <laughs> so, so I got a, I, I got a nice uh, uh, kafaru setup now, Kafaru uh, sawtooth and a stove and stuff. So it's it's real light, you know, it's four and a half pounds and a one and a half pound stove and pack that way back in there. So finally doing it in luxury, used to just have like a $10 Coleman that would just leak and stuff. And, and I would just tell him like, Sam, don't be a freaking pussy. Get through
4: this. <laughs> and I, Water. <laughs> Somehow there's more more water inside your tent than outside yeah, your dude. tent. Yeah, you <laughs> did I'm outside them sitting in the puddle here.
1: isn't that something though? Look at look at how far gear has progressed in the last few years. We're packing in a shelter and a stove that's four and a half pounds. That doesn't even doesn't even start to begin <laughs> to make sense. <laughs> right? I mean <laughs> (laughs) It it wasn't wasn't terribly long ago, right? Where it was cotton
4: or castle for two guys too. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those things, but good hell, man! It's I mean, you got room to spread out, and yeah, it it, it's incredible how how light and efficient gear has become.
1: Oh, it's crazy!
2: Like when I was when I was starting out, you know, really going going way back in. I think before it was really the kick, and there was the good gear, like. I mean, I grew up, I'd go in there and I'd save weight to bring in my fly rod and a, and a small little twenty-two, so I could shoot some grouse to stay alive. And I would just like literally be in survival. I'm like, I better catch some brookies for dinner tonight. I'm like, I got grouse and then lose like 15 pounds in a couple of days and come back out half dead. And my dad's like, what in the hell is wrong with you? But, uh, <laughs> just, yeah. So it is just like, it's just complete night and day with all these gear advancements like this last week and I felt like I was you know sleeping in a Hilton or something <laughs> it's,
1: uh, it's great crazy. what's funny is is can you can you imagine can you imagine the the fuckery that would ensue if you tried to go backwards and go back to that
4: I <laughs> you get, might I quit
1: you would quit <laughs>
4: Yeah, I was up sheep hunting with a buddy this last weekend, and he drew, he drew a tag, and uh, we were we were up in an area in Colorado that's got all these old mines and all this stuff, and and you you just can't help but look at all the shit that those guys packed up those hillsides, all that steel, oh, all that stuff had to come from somewhere, you know. Those guys were packing in with with horses and just grit mm-hmm. and you look at that and you feel like such a pussy I mean <laughs> those guys, it's, it's just a different breed man yeah.
2: Like, well hell, you know. this, this this last weekend when I was in the, the middle of the wilderness you know, long ass ways away, I'm walking through you know, there's there's no signs of humans or anything and then I see this little, sort of like wood box and I'm like, what the hell is that I'll go over there, and it's like an old timer, early like early 1900s, late 1800s, just just wood frame shitter that somebody made and brought all the way in here. <laughs> like, and I'm, like, I'm like, really? I'm, like, I'm sitting here debating if I need to bring extra batteries for my headlamp or not and this guy's carrying a, a a, a wood porta potty thing,
4: like <laughs> and, and priorities in order, right? There. I, that,
2: that that is
1: a- that is an interesting backcountry find, right? Because that's the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that that saves you from is sitting down on that old log and shitting on a on a hornet's nest. That is the <laughs> only thing that that's saving you from.
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know how that made the list. I, I don't even can't even imagine what. Other stuff he must have brought with him, but that oh, must been the least—the only thing that stayed. So. Anyway, you know,
1: Mark was just talking about grit. You know, his buddies gave him hell. He caught hell. <laughs> All right, you
4: know, Leave, leave the dog. Bring the shitter. Yeah, Jeremy, <laughs> over,
1: over a tin of whiskey. You know, talking shit about sure. Jeremiah bring this shitter into the back country.
3: <laughs> oh man. <laughs>
1: So I'm I'm assuming that you know typically with those kind of finds you see something you know 1800s or something we that's things we want to bring home with us I'm assuming (laughs) that that shit is still sitting in the woods. (laughs) It's still
4: in there. Pack that out. and drop a pin for his new base camp. Yeah, there you go. Far away from there, I'll tell you that. Yeah, you got. Then the- I never have to leave
2: the cave. I'll just have my eighteen hundred box up there. in the corner. Hey, <laughs> you, you just talked about the,
1: the about the Hilton and the Sawtooth, man. So there you go, <laughs> facilities <Yeah>. and all. <laughs>
2: I know. Throw that in the corner, you to get out.
4: <laughs>
1: That's the complete backcountry experience, right there. That's awesome, man. <laughs> shit boys. I, uh, man, it was good hearing about infinite. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to be, you know, looking at that more. I, I don't even, I can't even fathom how, how this venture is going to make any money. Um, with what you guys are charging, that seems absurd to me. Um, but the opportunities that it's creating, the conservation aspect of it, I think it's phenomenal. Um, and, you know, may sound cliche to folks, but thank you for that because it's important that we take a step in these directions um, to further what we're doing. Be, you know, like we said, if you're the DIY public guy or that private guy, they go hand in hand to a point. So I appreciate it,
2: guys. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Uh, any closing? Why don't you guys drop? Let's drop all the the social, the website, things like that, so folks know where to find you guys, and um, if there's some interest there, they can they can jump on and track you down.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so you can find us on social media on Instagram and Facebook under the the Infinite Outdoors Project, um, and and then our website is infiniteoutdoorsusa.com dot and that's where you can. You, get on, sign up, view all of our properties. Um, and then we have a, have a mobile app as well for our, for our users that they can download for both uh, iOS or Android. So. Okay. And then yeah, they- that. Oh, sorry, man. No, sorry. <laughs>
3: uh, We didn't, we didn't touch on that at all, but that mobile app is actually really convenient because once you book an adventure through us, you'll actually, all you have to do is log into your, with the same sign-in credentials onto our mobile app. um, And that'll show you your, your GPS location, give you directions directly to the property that you booked and even show you the, the property boundaries. So you know that you're standing on the right property and fishing or hunting on the correct property. So really, really convenient
1: now does that isolate you know does it isolate that half that half mile of of watershed that you have for you know whatever day it is does it does it get to that detail like hey here's your boundary on this property
2: yep so actually our 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 map uh background is is the exact same as what onyx used because like we said we're already already mobilizing to go that direction so it's the exact same clarity you can zoom into five feet or whatever um, it automatically saves your map offline as well. So it doesn't matter if it's in an area that doesn't have those boundaries. So it'll show exactly where you're at and that exact boundary throughout the entire property. So you can be accurate within a few feet and never worry about trespass.
1: Wow. That's awesome. Let me see. And then the, the IG handle, uh, has an underscore in it, if I remember correctly. So that way, cause when I searched it, there was a, there was a couple things that came up, um, but that has an underscore in Infinite Outdoors. Shit, what
3: happened? And technology.
1: Man. <laughs> just the um, where, yeah, where that's, I was just saying that the Infinite Outdoors, there's an underscore in the IG handle for that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Infinite Outdoors underscore USA. Okay,
1: there we go. All right, gents, well... Yeah. We'll wrap it. Unless you guys have any other any other infinite uh, deals to get out there. Um, again, I appreciate it. Best of luck to all you guys this season. Um, yeah, we'll be talking.
2: Yeah, you as well.
1: Appreciate you having us on. Absolutely, James. Thank you for listening. We spend a lot of time preparing for our hunts, and how we fuel our efforts is key. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com, helping you perform optimally in the backcountry. The purpose of Valley to Peak is to provide sound nutritional information supported by science. To help you prepare and perform optimally in the backcountry, there's no secret. This is done through education, coaching, and programming based on personal goals and preferences. Head over to ValleyToPeakNutrition.com or catch them on Instagram at b 2 p nutrition.